Welcome to Ramplify, a student-centered, career-focused podcast hosted by the Center for Career Equity, Development, and Success at Suffolk University. This podcast is used to highlight the resources offered in the university's Career Center while amplifying the voices of everyone who contributes to our vibrant community. Katrina Volante is a Suffolk Ram with a passion for helping others and living abroad. I recently spoke to Katrina about her international experience, learning more about her work in Italy and China, along with discussing the where and what behind her work today. Welcome, everybody. I'm speaking today to Katrina Volante. Katrina, I've known her for years. She was a RAM Alumni Mentoring Program mentor, and she's done all sorts of great stuff for Suffolk, so we're delighted to have her back. Katrina graduated from Suffolk with a Bachelor of Arts in English in 2011 and a Master's Degree in Higher Education in 2013, so she's a double RAM. And after that, she held coordinator and administration positions, mostly in higher ed, between 2012 and 2015. And then she started working at EF Education. And anybody who has spent any time in the Boston area and is interested in international education or living abroad or studying abroad or going abroad knows that at some point... you'll end up working at EF, even if it's for a year or two. So then in 2017, she left the U.S. to teach English in Italy. And I'm pretty sure there was some time in Portugal in there too, right? Or is that my imagination? Okay, were you teaching or just enjoying being there? So in Portugal, I wound up going to in 2018. And I initially went to be taking Portuguese lessons and to kind of settling myself there. And then it just turned into an opportunity at the school where they said, oh, basically, are you interested in teaching? I said, of course I am. I wasn't there very long. I think it was a four month long project. And then I wound up returning to China. Ah, got it. Okay. So I couldn't remember where Portugal fit into all of that. And then you were in China until 2022. Am I correct? Yes, I left to me still recently. I left last May. Mm -hmm. Okay, so very recently. And you eventually, while you were working there, became the director of an English school in 2019, which is pretty cool. And then you started pursuing a master's degree in mental health counseling. And what I found fascinating is it looked like you were actually doing your internships in China. Am I correct? Yes, I was. I was incredibly lucky because I was living in Shanghai. So my family had, all of us had actually relocated to China and we were split between the South and Shanghai for a while. And then we all decided, okay, let's just go to Shanghai. And that turned out to be the best decision for me because Shanghai, I work for Community Counseling Shanghai and they are the only counseling program in all of China. So to be able to see people in person and to be doing my internship in person where many of my peers because of COVID were actually doing theirs online was just such a wonderful opportunity. Oh, that's great. Who knew that there would be that kind of silver lining during COVID? So let's start with your Suffolk experience. Did you have an inkling when you came to Boston that you would one day be the director of an international preschool in China? (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. No, my goal honestly was just to be an English major, was to read books and was to figure out what it is I wanted to do while I was there. And I had really good mentors at Suffolk. I always like to give a shout out to Dr. Arm Brewster. She was very influential in my experience. 
experience, my undergrad experience. And from there, I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, I don't exactly want to be a professor. I might like to teach in the future, but I don't want to dedicate myself to an education degree just yet. So let me go on for this master's in higher education administration. And that's what I did. I just went straight after my undergrad experience, decided to stay at Suffolk just because I loved everything about it. I loved the location. I love the people. So that was kind of it. Just from there, I got my degree and there was a question of, okay, what to do next? I wound up temping actually at Boston University School of Law. And that eventually became a permanent position. And I loved being there. Basically, I stayed there part of a really, really great team until I basically, I just couldn't ignore the fact that I wanted to work abroad anymore. So I had been very lucky that I grew up traveling. It was something my family believed very strongly in. And when I was at Suffolk, I actually went abroad twice, first to the Czech Republic and then to London. And studying abroad was such a wonderful difference from just traveling abroad because when you think about it, you're immersed in a different way. You have different priorities when you're studying and you are living there. It's not just you're going from hostel to hostel. So I think it was the second time I was abroad in London that I got this crazy idea that I think one day I might be able to live abroad. I think I'd be able to work abroad and be able to sustain myself that way. And I kind of forgot about it because Honestly, I went to BU and I was so happy there. But then actually you and I got pretty close and oh, I started yeah. meeting people who had worked at EM. <laughs> and basically just people were saying, basically what you said in your intro, if you're interested in working internationally or studying internationally, you've got to give EF a look. And so I was very, very lucky that somebody I worked with at BU actually had worked for EF and so was able to provide a, an introduction. And Great. a few months went by and I wound up getting a job there. And that was just the beginning of what I consider maybe my second adulthood. Definitely kind of led me on the path to China because I wound up working all over the US, so traveling to different states. But then I was also working in Europe and I was working in Mexico. And there was basically there was just I was on one trip in Barcelona. And it just basically I realized that I couldn't lie to myself anymore. I just really wanted to be abroad much longer than I was. So I wound up going back to EF. And I think what you had mentioned before with COVID, like the silver lining is very true in my career experience, because I came back to work and I was told I was getting laid off in six months. And that was quite a shock. I tried looking for other work and I couldn't find it. There was a job that came across my desk that I loved. It was to be an academic manager at EF. But the problem was that you needed to be a teacher. You needed to have your education degree. You needed to have taught for at least two years. And I had not done that. I had provided tutoring and some type of teaching in university and also when I was a bit younger, but nothing that counted. So I had talked to my director at the time, managed to get my role extended an additional six months. And that gave me time to go to school and get my CELTA. I wound up doing like from February to April, I got my CELTA. Could you just explain what the CELTA is and maybe where you got it? and what that oh, entails. Sure. The CELTA, I'll have to tell you right now, I don't remember anymore what exactly what it stands for, but it's like a TEFL certificate. So basically it teaches you how to teach English to adult speakers of other languages. And there was no real reason that I chose the CELTA over the TEFL or the TOEFL other than when I was looking for jobs specifically in Europe, it looked like because the CELTA is UK based, it was easier to get jobs with that than to have the TEFL, which is much more American-based. And it was at, I think they called it English House. I actually got it right in Faneuil Hall. They might still be there. It's been many years since I've been in Boston. So I went to school right in Faneuil Hall for February all the way to April. And basically I would just leave work and go directly to this intensive class. And the intensive, I think, was five days a week. I think I went every 
yeah, every day except like Fridays and Sundays. And basically it was, it was just this amazing experience where if anybody's ever done any type of intensive teaching course, you get your theory day. So normally our weekend was our theory day. And then during the week was your actual skills implementation and your teaching practice. So we showed up, they gave us real students who had signed up for the class, and then we taught our lesson. And during the lesson, we had our tutor, we also had our classmates who were writing down their feedback. At the end of the lesson was when we all sat together to debrief and to go through feedback and, okay, this is where you can get better theory-wise, this is where you can get better skills-wise. Interesting. So did you, I'm just curious, how did it challenge your own grammar? Did you think, oh my gosh, I've forgotten all of the grammar I learned over the years? <laughs> to be honest, no. I mean, I was grammar was something that I was actually so proud of myself. I went, look at me, but I'll be honest with you, whenever they introduced functional language, I went, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I felt a little lacking there. But honestly, because of the education I had at Suffolk and the courses I chose to take, but also my own interests, I felt actually really well prepared. I found that learning to become an English teacher was intimidating because you have to, especially anybody who has young children, you recognize that you have to be yourself. You can't fake it. People are not going to respond to you if they recognize that you're faking it. And I think some of that is because you can't build rapport with somebody who's pretending to be somebody that they're not. So it was much more of a personal experience for me in the sense that I had to get to know myself in ways that I didn't want to before. And it turned out to be a wonderful experience because when I did go abroad, I played it safe initially. I did go to Italy. My father's family's from Italy. I'd been there before. So there was, and I had a friend living over there. So that was kind of like, let's, we're going to like dip a toe in and be gentle this first time. The reason I brought that up was because it was, it was easier to do it the first time. So I could still, where I was still in my comfort zone, I could kind of ignore growth. All of that went out the window when my next step after that was China. So how did you find the position in Italy? I think a lot of students, they think about how wonderful it would be to work abroad and live abroad, mm -hmm. but it's finding that first opportunity or setting yourself up to find that first opportunity that can seem challenging. So how did you find that? With Italy specifically, I think it was March. So I was still in the CELTA program and they start talking to you almost immediate. Well, like after the first two weeks, they start talking to you about where is it you want to travel and also what passport do you have? What language experience do you also have? One thing that was true when I was in school, so this is 2017, was if you didn't have an EU passport, it was hard to get a work visa there. And so I kind of put off to the side going to Europe saying, okay, well, maybe I could take a short-term contract because that would keep you there within the 90-day limit for non-EU members. Um, and then basically I'll have to move on from there. And I actually had in my CELTA class, there actually was an Italian student there who was taking the course with us. And we became friendly and she said, oh, well, if you're interested, why don't you contact this school and see what happens? And so that was wonderful because I wasn't going to find that in a book or anything like that when I was applying for work online, though I I have to tell you, I can't remember the website I used anymore. One of the very first things they asked you was, can you legally work in the EU? And I was like, oh, within 90, uh, not outside of 90 days, no. So I contacted the school and the first time it didn't work out, but they actually shared my name with another school who said, oh, we have a summer position for you. Can you come and teach for the summer? And then we see what happens. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. And then I went and I did the summer there and I could have had the opportunity to stay longer so to extend my time in Italy. And by the end of the summer, I decided that it just wasn't where I wanted to be. 
and that it was just a very personal decision. It had nothing like the lifestyle over there is great. The culture is wonderful. It was familiar. It just wasn't for me anymore. Interesting. So then how did you choose to go to China? That's a huge leap. Well, anybody who knows anything about me, a lot of my decisions revolve around family because my family and I are very close. So in addition to me, I've got two brothers and my youngest brother, David, he was actually, he had been living in China for a few years. He went over there for university and then wound up meeting his wife now. And he had been trying to get me and then my other brother, Andrew, who's my twin brother, had been trying to get us to come over just to visit for years. And so it just never worked out. I was always in Europe. Andrew was always in Southeast Asia or he was somewhere else. He traveled a lot. And it got to the point where I was in Florence, so still during the summer. And I had called Andrew and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't think I want to stay here, but I know I don't want to go back to the States. And basically, what are you doing with your life? And so my brother, Andrew, already had his TEFL. He had been teaching many more years than me. And so he said, well, David's been talking about China. Why don't we, how do you feel about that? And I was going, oh, you know, I, I don't know. But like at that point, the closest I had been to China had been Thailand and like Singapore. So I said, I really don't know anything about it. So he said, well, how about this? Let's both of us, him and me, how about both of us apply for jobs, basically anywhere. And whoever gets a job first, that's where we'll move. And so I went, oh, this is wonderful. I'm going to have my brother with me again. Okay, why not? And so he wound up winning. He got, he got offered a job first and he got offered a job in the south of China in a city called Dunguan. And basically I followed him. So we both wound up getting a job. We told David about it. The three of us were like, oh, okay, great. Like, let's do this. We'll all, we'll move into the same city together. So that is exactly what happened. That was, that sums up my first year in China. I like how your story involves both intention and serendipity. You had the overall goal of just mm-hmm. working abroad, mm-hmm. not really knowing where or how or when, but you just took the next small step to get there. First, there's thinking you can do it, then there's getting the certification, mm-hmm. and then you networked, you used your networks, and that's where the serendipity came in. And then once the serendipity piece came in, then it just took off from there. So I love that combination because there's really, with something like that, there's only so much you can plan and then the rest, but you have to do those baby steps in order oh, to get the connections you need. Yeah. And that's, and I, and I do love that you bring it up like that because sometimes I feel like it's the serendipitous part that is hard to talk to people about because that's exactly it. That's the part you can't plan. It would be really nice to be able to tell people, yes, you can plan your life A to Z, have no problem. But my life experience has taught me otherwise. So I was just finding that if I did take responsibility and accountability for what it is I could prepare for, what it is I could plan, if I used my resources wisely and said, okay, rather than taking this trip to Europe again just for fun, I spend that money instead on the Celta. So you delay gratification a bit. Then I find that when I'm doing everything I can with my intentions, then something always happened to meet me halfway. So, you know, catch me when I thought I wasn't going to get caught. And that's what allowed me to get to Europe. It's what allowed me to not just get to China, but to stay there for so very long. And in a way, it's also exactly why I wound up having a career change eventually from, I feel like I haven't exactly left education, but leaving education more or less and now becoming a therapist. Tell us about that a little bit. 
How did you make that decision? Because you really were, I remember talking to you back in the days when you used to come in for career advice from me and yeah. you would talk about how you were interested in things like, I can't even remember what it's called, but planning out courses and planning out curriculum. Oh, curriculum development. Curriculum yeah. development, exactly. Oh my God, you want to talk about serendipity, what I call the universe, sometimes telling you yes or no. But I don't remember when you and I were having that conversation way before COVID. I think it was probably 2019. I know I had gone back from Portugal, but anyways, I was in Shanghai and, oh no, it wasn't. Okay. It was still in China. I was down South still. Okay. The point, the point was I had applied to a master's program at the university of Macau, which is still part of China and in curriculum design. And I wound up getting into it, which was wonderful. But I then got an email days later saying, you're actually the only native English speaker in this course. We don't believe that we can accommodate you. <laughs> can you basically please withdraw or change to this other major? And so I didn't want to change to the other major. I did. I withdrew. I said, okay. And I laugh about it because that was such an important time like moment for me to go, okay, wait a minute, I'm heading in the wrong direction. This would not have happened for no reason. And so I withdrew my application. I did not go to school. I wound up going to Portugal for a little bit. And then I moved up to Shanghai and I lived my life. It was in Shanghai that I was very, very lucky to get this position as the director of a uh, preschool and had a wonderful working relationship with my boss there and just had so much fun for so many years. And when I was working there, I felt very settled. I just when I can see myself doing this for literally for years. Like, I think I'll just stay here for a while. And then I started to get a little, I can't really tell you what it was. It was like a little, I don't know. It was just something that told me I wasn't going to do this. And I had to start looking at something else. And I wouldn't be able to tell you. I can tell you it was in probably, it was late 2019 at that point, right before COVID started for us in 2020. And I started thinking to myself, you know what would be crazy if I was a therapist? And I will be, well, maybe I should backtrack. When I was still working in the south of China, I worked at a boarding school. That's important to know because this, the particular boarding school I was at had a lot of neglected children in it, if not outright abused children. And I was a grade six teacher, so working with 11 and 12 year olds, so you know, kids who've just hit puberty. And I started to realize that I, somewhere, I don't know where, but somewhere I had stopped being focused on, on their grades, on the kids' grades and on getting them to get really good marks and to pass their tests and to speak well. And somewhere in that, I started to become a lot more interested in their mental and their emotional health. And I had one particular child, she was almost 12, and she hated going home on the weekend. She would actually do everything she could to hide somewhere either in the dormitories or in the building, the school building, because her father was an alcoholic and her mother didn't really do anything about it. And this girl was getting beaten and then, you know, some other things were happening to her at home. She had basically a temper tantrum in class that I was told, my teaching assistant told me, you have to reprimand her because this is inappropriate. And I wound up after class having to take her into an empty classroom with this idea that, okay, now you've got to reprimand this student who is not acting correctly. And instead what happened was I just asked her what's happening because anybody who's worked with any people has to recognize that you just don't act like that for no reason. So anyway, she started to tell me what was going on with her and I was horrified. And I immediately went to my principal and asked, what are the laws here? Where is my scope of practice? Where does it end? And so he said, you're the teacher. All that matters is that she's getting these marks. Ignore everything that you heard. And, and I'm just not the type of person who could do that. So that story stayed with me, but I didn't recognize until years later, a few years later, how 
important that was. Because then in Shanghai, when I started getting this inkling of, I don't really think I'm feeling fulfilled at work, even though I'm really happy at work and I could do this forever. I think that was what started pushing me towards, well, wait a minute, if I care about people's quality of life, like maybe that's a therapy route. And so I didn't put much stock in it. I just kind of started by doing, Baidu is China's version of Google. I kind of just started by doing how to become a therapist. And I started learning the difference between psychology and social work and mental health counseling and from there, I eventually, I found a program and everything, all signs, all feelings pointed towards this is it. This is what you have to do. So I wound up enrolling at Palo Alto University, which is based out in California for their master's in clinical mental health counseling. And then COVID hit and I'm basically, I had something to do for all of COVID. I was in school and doing internship for all of COVID. And as you said, you were very lucky when we were talking earlier that because of your situation, you were actually able to do an in-person internship. Oh, absolutely. This is the part of your life you just can't plan. Because if I had still been in the south of China, I would have either had to relocate or I would have had to remain online. But I actually happened to live, my apartment was next to the compound where I wound up working. So talk about quality of life. I walked like what, 20 steps to go to work. I wound up meeting the director of counseling at Community Center Shanghai, Carrie Jones. She is an amazing person. She's actually back here in the States now. But I had an informational interview with her and said to her, this is who I am. This is what I think I want to do. Can I apply to work here? And I did, and I was very lucky I got it. And what I wound up doing was I was a student intern. So basically a therapist, but I just don't take, I'm supervised and I don't take money for it. And Joanna, it was the best experience because I got to counsel people from every single continent with the exception of Antarctica. It was amazing. I got to learn Wu, which is Shanghaiese, so that I could actually counsel people. In Wu, I didn't just have to rely on the English. And the people that I've never, not even at EF, did I have like this breadth of getting to know people from so many different walks of life. And to kind of complement that, one of the things I did, because being in China, you also have to, of course, work with Chinese law. And I couldn't work in a hospital setting, which meant I couldn't work with people who had personality disorders or schizophrenia or anything like that. So I wound up complementing my in-person internship with an internship in Vancouver, Canada, which I just did online, where I did get to have experience with those populations. And that was amazing because then when the world shut down in 2020, and there wasn't a lot of information getting into China, at least from my perspective, to see how my clients in China were faring versus my clients in Canada. It was night and day. And it really put into perspective how different countries were trying to deal with this pandemic and the toll it was taking on mental and emotional health. So one of my professors, I remember like my second quarter in was saying, you guys are going to be the trial by fire therapist. Good luck. And it turned out to be true. And it turned out to be a wonderful experience that I'm still pulling from and I'm still very grateful for. Wow, that's so interesting. A question that I have, because I can keep asking questions, we have plenty of time, but this is something often students just want to know, what advice would you have for them if they want to study abroad and live abroad? You know, I certainly, when I'm working with students who are interested in it, I have programs that I can recommend to them that they can do after they graduate, things like the Peace Corps and Medias has a teaching English in Spain program all over Mm -hmm. Spain. There's TAPIF, which is a government program in France. There are a number of different programs. But what is some general advice or specific advice that you have for people who want to live abroad? 
I think general advice would be because I recognize that everybody's resources are different and my journey is just one of many. It would be to get yourself abroad any way you can. So if that's going to be traveling, wonderful. If it's going to be going through a work program or a study abroad program, do it. And I mean, go where you want to go. I think that's pretty good starter advice. When it comes to wanting to work abroad, for me, I realized I had to be intentional about it. I could easily keep, I could study abroad as long as I was in school and then I could travel as long as my resources allowed it. But when it came to working abroad, I had to look at what is it I want to do? Are my language skills enough? Are your specific cultural people skills, those soft skills, are those appropriate for the place where I want to go? And then I did a lot of, re uh, yeah, more or less. And now I, I'll be honest with you, I do less research now than I used to. But back then I did do, when I was going to move to China, I did do a lot more research on that because I had never been there. I didn't know any of the language and I kind of wanted more or less to know what it is I was going into. I think the work programs you mentioned are wonderful because teaching English is, I know, still such a door opener for so many people. And there are different certificates you can get that are, that are good all over the world, whether you're doing the TEFL, the CELTA or something else. So I think it would be that mix of be intentional about it, decide what it is you want to do and then do it. Yes, there's going to be fear, but the fear actually doesn't go away until you wind up doing it anyways. And then in a way, almost kind of follow your heart, do what it is you feel called to do, because that tends to be the right way for you. It seems like with the people I know, they are either, they'll just go abroad for a little while and they think that was wonderful. That was a great chapter in my life. And now I'm ready to come home, whatever home mm -hmm. means to them. If they're yeah. most of my friends who have done that are American, they come back to the United States. For you, you're one of those people, <laughs> the other people who just mm -hmm. keep going. And what becomes home for you? It sounds like oh. you could, do you make your own home? Do you just find home where you are? How does that work for I, you? That's a wonderful question that I still keep thinking about. So my answer right now is tentative. And I guess I want to say this more like almost as a prologue for me, but my family is international. My parents do come from Europe. They come from two different countries. And so the idea that home wasn't necessarily one place made a lot of sense to me. And then I've been very lucky that I've been able to consistently travel as an adult since 2008. And I've lived abroad now since, I mean, I've worked and lived abroad for quite a few years now. So I think where I am right now in my journey is I have to be home. Like I have to carry the home within me, inside of me. And I think that's what all my travel has taught me because when I first started out, the reason why I wanted to go to Europe was, I think I had said it, that is home. Not so much Italy, like I would say physically Portugal does feel like home, but I'm not certain because when I lived in Europe, I wasn't living with my family and I really missed my family. So then when I went to China and I was living with my family, I was like, oh, I'm home, but I don't necessarily want to live in China for the rest of my life. So so it just, every decision I make just keeps bringing me back to me is I have to be home. I have to be able to trust myself and trust my adaptability and trust that I don't know everything, but trust that I'll be able to survive whatever it is I don't know because I can learn. And that has given me a lot more, I feel a lot more flexible with life now. Like I don't take it as seriously as I used to because you rec I've come to a point where I recognize how arbitrary everything seems to be. So I'm just living the best way that I can. And even in the situation I'm in now, because my whole 
whole family wound up leaving China very unexpectedly. Like if I had to tell you what my plan was last year, I was going to stay in China, period. I was like going to stay in China for the next few years to at least go through my the first two years after graduation, the apprenticeship, and then see where I wanted to go from there. Plans changed. We wound up leaving very unexpectedly. I wound up moving to Malaysia to finish out my internship. And after that, decided that I wanted to get a U.S. license. So I wanted to become a licensed mental health counselor. And where half of my family had moved to Florida, I said, okay, well, let me go do it there. And that happens to be where I am now. I'm in Fort Myers, Florida right now. And I basically still feel like I'm living abroad because I've never lived down here before. I never even traveled down here before, if I'm being honest with you. So this is all very new, culturally speaking. And I'm already thinking like, okay, as soon as we get this license, where are we going next? Do you have any idea yet? I am taking a look at, I mean, everything is tentative. That's one thing I, I recognize is every time I plan something, it changes. So right now I am looking at like Dubai and the UAE because they're giving a lot more attention to mental health and specifically they're giving a lot of attention to mental health for women. And in my practice, I actually predominantly work with women in the LGBT community and those life experiences that at least in my experience, being a woman and part of that community, I felt like those stories weren't being told correctly or they didn't have the right to be told. So that's part of how I use my practice. What's interesting about you is that you are a therapist, but you come from so many different identities, including your American identity. And mm -hmm. how does that come into play if you are providing therapy in another country with people from mm -hmm. other backgrounds and other cultures? That must be a very interesting dynamic because you must be questioning all the time, is this my Americans? Or maybe you're not, mm -hmm. you know, what are you bringing to the table that's American? And what are you bringing to the table that's just you and your experiences? Or do you have to shift things based on the culture of the person who you're working with? Well. One thing that's interesting is when you do talk about like American nationality or identity, that's still an identity I'm not certain of because the way I think about myself, and I'll talk about it as like who I am as a therapist, is I'm just me. I'm Katrina Robin Volante. I have a life that nobody else is ever going to have and is never going to understand. So it's actually my responsibility to figure out where do I need to bracket? Where are my boundaries? How do I know when I'm speaking personally versus I'm speaking professionally? And that's where working in Shanghai is the gift I'm never going to be able to repay because working with so many different people from different religious backgrounds, different political backgrounds, different sexual orientation backgrounds, like name it. If you can name it, I've most likely worked with them at this point. And being able to, like, to be honest with you, the very first thing I said when I was in school, when we were talking about populations was I said, I will not work with sex offenders. I will not do it. And I will also will not work with men. <laughs> And it turns out you can't be that specific. And so my very first client at CCX actually was a male sex offender. And that was, when you think about it, that was my opportunity to say, okay, that's it, I'm walking out. Or that was my opportunity to say, hmm, let's learn how to see this person as a person because I wasn't seeing them as people before. And that was what was wonderful about teaching. And it's, to me, it's even more wonderful as a therapist where I'm now working with adults where my limiting beliefs and my biases and my perspective of the world, whatever it is you want to call it, it's just my subjectivity is constantly being challenged. And again, sometimes it's a tiny challenge. Other times it's like that. It's a very large challenge. So that's it. Sometimes you do, I mean, I do do things such as bracketing, which is you're trying to remove who you are and your opinions from the therapy room. And other times I find, like I've had people, especially like ones who have survived war or 
who have done things with terrorism, acts of terrorism, sometimes just bringing me into the room and saying, hey, this is what I think I'm hearing. And this is what's coming up with me. Is this going to be a problem for you? Or like, can you teach me more about this? And I find that I ask my clients that a lot now is just, can you teach me about this? Because I don't know what it is you're talking about. Because I don't, I don't live your story. I'm never going to understand it in this way. So if anything, I feel like I've actually become... Rather than becoming more set in an identity, I'm recognizing how arbitrary, how I was categorizing my identity actually is. And if I can just throw that aside, I wind up having much more meaningful conversations with people. So rather than talking to this label, I'm now talking to a person and this person has context and such. And it's a very deeply rich and rewarding experience. Sounds fascinating. It's really interesting. So I think those are pretty much all of the questions that I wanted to ask. I'm seeing if there was anything. One of the questions that I had written down is, were you ever tempted to pack your bags and go back to the U.S.? But there's never been anything about you and your experience that's implied that. So that's that's a moot point. I mean, you're just one of those folks who, ever since I met you, you just always wanted to get out of the just U.S. To go somewhere and let's well, again. It's not even the U.S. For me, it was very much I wanted to get out of Boston. I had spent the majority of my life in Boston. Majority of my family was there, and you know what it was is throughout school, it wasn't so much of an issue because I felt I belonged there. And then it was like a switch. I graduated with my master's. It had difficulty finding work, and I started to kind of get that sense of do I belong here anymore? So that's why I said even living down here in Florida, I still feel like I'm abroad. Things are easier because now there's not a language barrier. There's still a cultural barrier, though I'll tell you. So it just gets me ready for the next challenge and the next opportunity wherever that's going to be. I do think that's interesting. As you know, I had a background where I did work in international experiential Mm -hmm. education and spent quite a bit of time going abroad and looking at programs abroad. And I remember when I was finally able to do a cross-country trip, and it was fascinating because I felt like I was, rest of the U.S. was so different than what I grew up with and Mm -hmm. what my experience was because, of course, I grew up on the East Coast. So just going to a different part of this country can be like living abroad. Absolutely. And it's so rewarding. There's no part of this country to me that's really the same, especially once you start leaving regions. People are so different. Again, people I counsel down here are, they bring up things that I was never going to hear anywhere else. And to me, that's what makes living somewhere so worth it. For me is when I'm starting to get to know the people who are around me, because all of a sudden the culture to me is almost personified. It makes a lot more sense why roads are the way they are, why laws are the way they are, because it just takes a group of people to decide we're going to do this in order for it to happen. So I definitely have much more of an outlook of curiosity. And again, you know, come what may, I'll figure it out. How bad can it be? I've always thought of you as the kind of person who just immerses yourself into a culture. I don't, even though course, your family was living with you in China. I don't Mm -hmm. see you as being the typical expat. You were saying that you learned the Shanghai dialect Mm -hmm. so that you could counsel people in Shanghai or Wu is the name of the language. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. is it a goal of yours to learn the language in every country that you go to, or at least enough of it that you can be a good neighbor? Yes. I used to, I'll be honest with you, the first time I went abroad, um, well, through Suffolk, specifically to the Czech Republic, I threw myself into learning Czech and I went, that's it. If I leave here and I am not semi-fluent in Czech, I'm going to be another failure. And that put a lot of stress on me, but it also gave me a lot of results. And I just kind of calmed down the older that I got. So when I went to China, living in the South was fantastic because if Shanghai had been my introduction to China, I would be a very different person. But instead I was in what was considered a tier three city and 
that just means there are different conveniences. I was in a tier three city where nobody spoke anything other than Mandarin or Dongguanese, which was the language spoken there. And so it was a very real survival thing. I went, oh, I won't have electricity because I can't sort out utilities if I can, if I cannot speak Mandarin. So that was, and then I was very lucky that my sister-in-law, she wasn't living with me, but she was there. So those were additional language lessons. So I was able to make, I, I basically just said to myself, okay, this is the life I see myself living. And if the language is one of the things I need to get myself there, well, then I've got to dedicate myself to the language. And so that's what I wound up doing. Learning Wu to be able to do the counseling was completely unexpected. And it was, honestly, it was a necessity because of COVID. When COVID happened, particularly towards the end of 2020 and then throughout 2021, there was such an ex um, metaphorical explosion in China of mental health needs because there was suicide, there was domestic violence, like you wouldn't believe. And Carrie Jones, the director, she's not the director anymore, but anyways, she was able to actually expand our reach outside of Shanghai, where we had really been limited to, to China-wide, nationwide. And so that opened us up to a lot more rather than just non-national, so non-Chinese passport holders. That allowed us to work with Chinese passport holders. And some of them could speak English and others simply could not. And so anyways, it was just a necessity. Carrie was just like, we have this need. Can anybody fill it? And I was like, of course I can fill it. Let me just go learn this language on the weekend so that I can attempt to do this. Oh my gosh. I, can't, I have a problem with saying yes to things before I'm really ready to saying yes, but some things don't change. Well, and now you're multilingual. I try. <laughs> That's the goal. Okay. Well, it is one o'clock, so it's time for us to wrap up. But this has been wonderful. It's always interesting to talk to you. And are you going to be back in Boston anytime soon? Or are you, is the Not next... The next plane ride will be abroad. I believe so, yeah. Unless I'm taking a brief trip to like New York next year, I think the next one is going to be back abroad. Okay. I can't wait to hear where you go next. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at suffolk.edu slash career dash center and follow us on social media at suffolk underscore careers. Thank you.